so here's my question, Dwight. Uh, if you could pick something to shoot out of your hands, plasmid style, what do you think your uh, your plasmid would be? Spaghetti. You answered so quickly. Because it was extremely obvious to me what my answer had to be, and it was spaghetti. Does it Does it like trickle out of your fingertips, or is it like a gush from your palm? <laughs> I think I got spaghetti tubes going. I think they're under my fingernails, and... Oh. They come from each, so I can like spread my fingers and have kind of like more of a shotgun spray of spaghetti, or I can like keep them all together and have more of like the water hose of spaghetti going. Yeah, yeah, that's horrifying. Of the splicers, there's like, you know, the leadhead splicer and the spider splicer, and there's the spaghetti splicer. And I come with like a big, stupid looking fake Italian mustache. And I run out the player, and I'm like, hey, get off of my Venetian patio. Oh, that's hilarious. It's, and, and the thing that makes you insane and the fact that you've lost your mind is that you, you speak in a really, really bad Italian accent. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh-huh. It's offensive to everybody, and uh, there is just uh, highly oiled spaghetti just kind of flying everywhere. I'm going to get you, you, uh, you, you big, spicy, juicy meatball. You, you big a monkey. You come into my Venetian patio trying to steal my spaghetti. I would kill you so fast. Yeah, I wouldn't kill you. The, the spaghetti does not do any damage. It's just spaghetti. Caleb, what's your plasmid? Um, I think, I think my go-to plasmid, like, my instinct is just to say something that I think would be super cool and fun for me. So I think my plasmid is that uh, I shoot, like, mushroom spores at people. Oh, sick. Yeah. That that make mushrooms grow on your body and, like, slow you down. Oh, man. I think me and you could team up and we could have a really nice pasta dish going. Yeah, I think, you know what? Perfect. Should we do this whole... So, I was thinking before we started, should we do this whole episode in a transatlantic accent just to stay in Bioshock? <laughs> or should we do it all Italian now because now we have pasta hands? I'm so much better at transatlantic than I am at uh, Italian. And I've also realized that I don't have anything like geared up, locked and loaded, ready to go that's funny to say in Italian. I just keep on saying Venetian patio. So. And you did say big monkey, which is funny. Big you big monkey. Um, okay, so when I say the words big monkey, I'll switch to Italian. But other than that, I'll do the transatlantic accent with you. All right, let's do it. <laughs> All right, well, hello and welcome to Hey, We Fixed Your Game, a show where we take great games and completely reimagine them with our dumb okay, ideas. Wait, hold on, Dwight. Hold, oh, hold on, hold on. I think we also might have to put like a really gross filter over this whole episode where it just sounds crackly and very very uh what are those things called the the um the like record player things that you get in bioshock like the old like reel-to-reel recorder type thing yeah yes yeah the ones that you collect around bioshock um, uh, oh yeah around bioshock yeah totally so i'm here's what i'm gonna do for the uh treatment of the audio of this episode i'm gonna record it on an old reel-to-reel and then i'm gonna put it in a aquarium I will record it from outside the aquarium. So this episode's going to be completely unbearable to listen to. Yeah. Wouldn't that be funny if it were just kind of like a weird, like, aquarium ASMR 
video, like very different than the rest of our podcast. This one is just completely unintelligible of just like two guys going like, and the listener's like, was that, was that blub in an Italian accent? I, I think that there would actually be an audience for that. Maybe more so than a podcast about video games. Anyways, hi listener. Welcome to Hey We Fixed Your Game. This is a show where we take great games and completely reimagine them with our dumb ideas. I'm Dwight, and I'm that one splicer who won't stop singing Jesus Loves Me. Uh, hi, I'm Caleb, and I got petrified in Fort Frolic for making a shitty movie. <laughs> Caleb, what movie did you make? Uh, I made Ant Bully. Ant Bully? <laughs> yeah, I made Ant Bully, the one where the kid bullies ants. <laughs> and Sandra Cohen wasn't a fan? He said, no, 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 no! You should bully ants! And then he petri- and then he he dropped me in a, in a tub of uh, concrete. You got the dunk. It's like the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards, but Sander Cohen's twisted version. Yeah, I, th- I think Sander Cohen, every time he does petrify someone, he goes, Oh, you got slimed! <laughs> Literally the worst kind of slimed to get. And it's already pretty bad to get slimed. Uh, this episode is starting off on a great foot. It's already completely off the rails, which I love. Um, today we're talking about the game Bioshock. Bioshock. You all maybe have heard of it. It's a game from back in 2007, very popular. Today we're going to tell you what Bioshock is, in case you don't know what it is. We're going to talk about our experiences, our thoughts, our profound insights into the world of Bioshock. And then we're going to sit it down and we're going to say to Bioshock, would you kindly reconstruct yourself to be the game that we want you to be? And it will do so. Yeah. Yeah. Would you kindly? Would you kindly? Uh, I will say before we get any further into the episode that there will be spoilers for Bioshock. Uh, I really don't know if we're going to pull punches. We're probably going to go lighter on it at the beginning, but especially as the episode goes on, who knows what nooks and crannies those spoilers are waiting in, uh, but they're going to jump out when we least expect it. So just let you know, if you feel compelled to check out Bioshock, if you don't want to get it spoiled for you, uh, maybe go check out one of our other amazing, also hilarious episodes where we do fewer Italian accents. Uh, yeah, I will say that it's kind of impossible to avoid spoilers for Bioshock just because it's such a narrative game. Like, we can talk about the gameplay mechanics and everything for a while, but the story is really what drives everything forward. Yeah. Totally true. Um, so we'll try to avoid stories, spoilers for at least like the first five, ten minutes. But after that, you know, we are going to uh, splice some spoilers into your brain. Caleb, do you want to tell the listener a little bit about Bioshock since you're the one who put me onto Bioshock? Yeah, sure. So so Bioshock is a shooter game from 2007, which basically means the the core game mechanic revolves around looting stuff and then shooting with the stuff that you loot. Um, It was made in 2007 with a strong emphasis on story and social commentary, so it starts um, very, very political, and it ends extremely political. And the middle is also extremely political. It's just the whole way down. (laughs) It's political the whole way down. Um, You play as Jack, this kind of nameless, faceless murder guy who just uh, crash lands in this stretch of ocean somewhere in the Atlantic uh, by happenstance near a lighthouse um, and you kind of find your way into the lighthouse and then down into the deep, deep sub-oceanic city of Rapture. Um, it's kind of a 1940s city that's built unrealistically at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. 
Um, the city named Rapture was built by these kind of main titans of industry that this to- this totalitarian overlord brought down with him. Um, you've got like artists and scientists and engineers and all these sorts of people who've been brought down to create essentially uh, a laissez-faire capitalist utopia inspired by Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, like they never reference, I don't think they reference Atlas Shrugged within the game, like within the fiction of the game, but it's obvious that the the creators of the game were kind of, it's like a sequel to Atlas Shrugged in that if you're not familiar, Atlas Shrugged is kind of like a libertarian manifesto um, fictional work, I think about kind of the... Uh, the world in the future as people are disappearing because some guy is creating kind of this uh, laissez-faire utopia uh, and kind of creating like this alternate world that all of the best people in the world can go live and work in. So this game is kind of like, well, what if that actually did happen? What would that city be like, you know, like 60 years after its founding? And it is grim, I will say that. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty rough. Uh, I will say that, like, as soon as you get into the lighthouse from the beginning of the game, you are met with Andrew, the face, the gigantic statue face of Andrew Ryan, and he immediately begins spouting, like, libertarian buzzwords at you. And it's impossible to distinguish Ayn Rand quotes from Andrew Ryan quotes. It's, like, impossible. (laughs) Yeah, they do have, like, they really nailed it. We'll get into this, but they so nailed the flavor of this game. It was obvious that they really were, they're so smart about their influences and the way that they interpreted them. Um, but anyways, so, yeah, once you actually are in, uh, when you're in Rapture, the city, it's, like, in ruins. It's, like, a chaos village that is, like, 33% insane drug addicts who are uh called splicers who are on plasmids which we they're not spaghetti i didn't see any spaghetti in the game but instead they're like kind of they have altered bodies they're like shooting flames and stuff at you uh and then there's like these creepy little girls that are harvesting materials from corpses and those little girls the little sisters are protected by big daddies which you've if you've seen any promotional artwork for bioshock you're familiar with these guys huge um like diver suit creatures that have like drills for hands and uh when you're walking around in game they kind of make big like (laughs) noises yeah which is exactly that actually that was a sound bite from the game yeah i know you thought it was just dwight doing an impression but i have been a big daddy this whole time coming out no i you're coming out as a big daddy caleb caleb you can call me daddy yeah will do dwight (laughs) totally thanks man yeah so there's like a big plot there's some twists uh we won't get into that right now but this game was a pretty big hit at the time caleb were you familiar with bioshock when it came out Yes, I remember seeing the cover and seeing like promotional material on on TV and stuff and thinking that it was the coolest game that was ever made. <laughs> Did you play it back then? No, no, absolutely not. I played it for the first time a couple months ago. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. Um, I was not familiar with it when it came out. Um, I think from being online growing up, I like heard of it, but... Uh, I really didn't like do a deep dive on it until like the past two weeks when I started playing it for this episode. Um, 
And I can totally see the main thing is I've heard about it was it was so celebrated for its plot and its environmental storytelling, which is like kind of the way that the levels are designed and decorated, tell a story without necessarily like um, having a character sit you down and be like, here's what's happened here. Bioshock absolutely capitalizes on the growth in uh, what was possible at the time engine wise and creates these incredibly detailed meticulously written and masterfully crafted environments yeah um i think we have kind of spoiled the fact that we both are fans of this uh but caleb i would love to dig deeper into kind of your experience and your like specific thoughts about this game before we completely rebuild it sink it to the bottom of the ocean and build a city out of it you know yeah i you know the thing that impressed me the most about this game is the writing Truly, I think Bioshock is a masterwork in kind of political deconstruction and in a lot of ways kind of humanizing politics in a way that's like it doesn't really matter what you believe. If you have bad people in charge, everything is going to fall apart. Yo, that's such a good point. You know, no matter what system you advocate for, it still is difficult to live in a world that's so full of uh, shitty people, uh, especially at the top of things. Yeah. But yeah, I think with Bioshock there, it's so like, it doesn't lead being like a political debate. Like the overtones are there, especially if you're familiar with Ayn Rand's work, especially if you're kind of looking at it through a lens of trying to interpret it. But I could see a lot of uh, gamers playing through this, not really thinking of it as a political game, but instead, like, I think it does a great job of like actually engaging you with the characters and the story and having you accept the world of the game instead of kind of shoving it in your face in kind of a blatant way, which I think yeah. is just good storytelling in general is like, if you have a point to make with your story, don't confuse the story and the point for e with each other, but instead take a human approach, take like um, an approach that will endear the audience to your point of view and like help them empathize with you, understand it instead of kind of making it a big um, debate uh, or like a big, uh, preaching to the choir type uh, artwork. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, jumping back into the kind of mechanics of the game, I really struggled with the two-hand controls of the game, and that's not something I ever really got over. This was back before there was kind of a standardized button mapping input for games. By the way, when you say two-hand controls... What are you referring to? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Um, what I mean is, so basically, in your right hand, you're always holding a, a, a weapon. So a gun, a wrench, a shotgun. And in your left hand, you're always holding plasmids. So fire, electricity. And you can never dual wield them. Right. You have to... Uh, I was playing with keyboard and mouse, and you have to like right-click in order to switch between the two separate weapon sets. Yeah. And I started on keyboard and immediately ditched it because <laughs> I found it completely infuriating. I switched to controller and it was so much better. I think the game was made for Xbox, I believe. Xbox 360, yeah. Yeah, so it, it was mapped to the Xbox controller and then the keyboard controls were a port, I believe. I think they were released simultaneously, but I, I totally agree that I was very frustrated consistently playing with the keyboard, especially trying to switch between literally eight different weapons and like up to six different plasmids. Um, and my main way of switching between them was my mouse scroll wheel. 
I probably should have just um, tried to memorize the different numbers that you can press to switch between them. But like for me, removing my fingers from WASD to get over to seven or eight uh, without looking down at my um, keyboard is an impossible, like a piano level um, tactic that I will never master in a game. Yeah, it, it's a light critique, mostly because it was a limitation of its times. But I also never quite got used to it. And in moments of stress, found myself still kind of fumbling. Did you find yourself doing the, uh, well, I guess you were on controller. I found myself doing the low ammo shuffle of like, I started running out of ammo really hard because I was barely using plasmids, which was a mistake. But because it was hard to switch between them, it was hard to select the correct plasmid, I would just stick to my guns. Um, And then my gun would run out of ammo and I was in the middle of a fight. So then I would just kind of be like, wildly spinning my scroll wheel like it was wheel of fortune um trying to get to any other gun that had any ammo whatsoever and then pressing the ammo switch button so it's like ah machine guns out okay shotgun is out but it has electric bolts great oh that's out now um crossbow uh crossbow only has the trap ones like ah meanwhile i'm just getting completely lit up by enemies as i'm trying to find anything that can harm an individual on my person yeah, that is the other thing. Like with the weapons, you have three different ammo types for each weapon. So that's a total of, I don't know, three times eight compounded choices. Insane. I found, this is one of my critiques to the game, the bullet options to be a bit superfluous. Because um, you had armor piercing, anti-personnel, and regular bullets. And I think the anti-personnel, the anti-personnel was always a little bit confusing to me. I think that certain humanoid enemies were susceptible to anti-personnel and then like normal bullets are normal and then the armor piercing are good against like security turrets and like probably big daddies um yeah like big armored enemies but i really in the end i kind of wish they had just had one type of bullet because it was really easy to pick up a bunch of anti-personnel bullets but not enough that you could really do much with them and whenever i pick those up i'm like i just wish i could have gotten normal bullets right now instead of these weird specialized ones that I'll always have just an awkward amount of. Yeah, I I totally agree. I will say, though, that... um, So this game is very hard, which I think is a plus. I like that this game is hard. In order to kill big daddies, you have to use anti-personnel. Or, or, uh, you know, you have to use armor-piercing rounds. Like, otherwise the big daddy will kill you, like, five times. Yeah, I didn't use armor-piercing, and I... I died a lot to big daddies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so there's specific... I only really kept them for big daddies. The turrets went down easy. The humans... I, I used some anti-personnel rounds for humans every once in a while when I ran out of regular ammo. But for the most part, I was not an ammo runner-outer. I kept a pretty good balance of my plasmids. So, like, the cool thing about Bioshock, the really cool thing about Bioshock, which um, is also part of its level design, is... Uh, situational awareness is super important. So, like, if if a bunch of bad guys are standing in a puddle of water, you can call, you can kill them all instantly w- by using the shock plasmid on the water. Yeah. Or, like, if a bunch of bad guys are in an olive garden, you can kill them by using your spaghetti plasmid. Yeah. You 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 stuff them up full, and they just pop <laughs> like big balloons. Yeah. Like a big monkeys. Oh, anyway. big monkey. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, so, like, if if there's oil slicks on the ground, you can light them on fire. If there's a big daddy around, you can hypnotize it and bring it with you for some of the level. 
it's um, really cool how they use the environment to inform good plasmid choices. Because yes, I will kind of agree. It's almost always better to use your guns on enemies if you want to kill them faster. Mm -hmm. But the plasmids interact with the environment to make them way better in certain certain ways, which I think is awesome level design. They also have an excellent telekinesis plasmid, which is just, I think, the best and most fun plasmid where you get to pick up items in the environment and throw them around, a.k.a. Gravity gun? You get... Yeah, it's a gravity gun. It's a it's a total ripoff from Half Life, the <laughs> gravity gun, but it's cooler and better. I would say there are certain mechanics that just should get ripped off that nobody should have sole access to because they're too much fun. Yeah, yeah. Like grappling guns. Like imagine if I don't know what game did grappling guns first, but if they were all territorial and like, no, this one's mine. Step away from my grappling gun. That's that's ours. That's our intellectual property. We made the grappling gun. <laughs> Nobody else has ever grappled before us. Nobody else is ever going to grapple after us. We're the grapple boys, okay? Step off. <laughs> it's just a bunch of renegade coders who, who <laughs> coded the first grappling gun, and they're just really defensive about it. If you try to add a grappling gun to your game, they storm your office with their grappling guns and they grapple your uh, CPUs, you grapple yeah, your yeah. computers. They, yeah, they're like mafia. They walk in, they're like, "Oh, so you're trying to put a grappling gun in your game, huh? Man, it'd be a shame if someone uh, wiped your servers. Oh. <laughs> oh no, I dropped my magnet. Yeah, yeah, I I did a Breaking Bad. Uh oh. Oh no, I breaking batted your whole server base. Ah, uh, that's uh. a shame. Leave the grappling <laughs> leave the grappling hooks to the guys who know what to do with them. Yeah, I can only imagine the uh, Halo Infinite team were like Halo would be so much better with a grappling gun, but do you think they'll come for us? There's no way. We have too sophisticated a security system. They'll never get through. Quick, at it before they find out. And then like an intense 15 minute long like um horror movie scene of the grapple boys turning off the power in the building and coming and murdering every single halo dev yeah yeah grappling up to the top floor and working their way down uh-huh exactly um so stay away from the grapple boys but this game's fine because it doesn't have a grappling hook i'm just saying the gravity gun similarly great mechanic you shouldn't worry about stealing things when they're that cool <laughs> yeah the cool thing about the telekinesis power is that you can grab things and objects and use them as a shield as people are shooting you or you can grab like explosive barrels and throw them at enemies or you can grab enemies and throw them at other enemies it's an extremely versatile fun plasmid that makes the game a little bit easier i wish i'd used that i only used it i used it exactly one time and was like great i have no idea if this is useful or not i'm gonna never use it again and i'm just realizing in hindsight i watched some playthroughs uh, this morning and I'm kind of just realizing like I didn't play this game very well I should have used plasmids a lot more I should have been using different plasmids um, so definitely if I play through again I'm going to be a telekinetic uh, one of the telekinetic guys well it's also like you're not a big shooter genre guy like you just don't no. play games in the genre so that's yeah. I think people I think you can be excused for not knowing the like ammo balance shuffle that you kind of have to play when you're playing a shooter game yeah the ammo balance shuffle is one of my favorite songs to dance at at weddings yeah it's it only shows up in libertarian weddings which is weird <laughs> reload to the left 
Reload to the right. Rack that mag. Rack that mag. Everybody shoot your friends. Oh, man. Short wedding. Uh, Terrible wedding. Worst wedding I ever went to. Yeah. My other big issue with this game is the boss battle. Spoiler alert. Boss battle sucks. Man. That's such a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. Boss battle sucks. Um, I will spoil it for you a little bit. Basically, throughout the entire game, you're getting double-crossed and double-dealed and swindled by a number of different characters. The main swindler-backstabber character is basically just a con man who has spent the entire game kind of tricking you and misleading you at every turn. And he's this really clever, really, like, stand-back-as-other-people-do-his-dirty-work kind of guy we already invoked the spoiler we can say his name yeah so atlas the guy who's supposedly guiding you throughout the game flips to uh reveal himself as frank fontaine after you kill the current overlord of rapture andrew ryan Mm -hmm. and to be clear atlas is like kind of painted as this man of the people freedom fighter who's like helping you out and he's very sympathetic he's got like a nice irish accent as he's trying to, like, guide you through different places, he's real nice. He um, keeps saying, oh, that Andrew Ryan. Andrew Ryan. <laughs> I'll kill that Andrew Ryan. Um, I really liked Atlas. But then he flips, and he reveals that he's kind of like this legendary mobster that's been alluded to throughout the game who was supposedly dead. Frank Fontaine. I'm Frank Fontaine. Okay, after Andrew Ryan's amazing voice, I was so upset. Frank Fontaine just sounded like kind of stock mobster. I just didn't like any of his vocal lines after the reveal. I'm I'm, I'm with you. I will say that they try and make Rapture a pretty diverse place. Some of the accents are just god-awful bad. <laughs> are there other ones that you can think of, aside from Dwight's Italian accent? Oh, man. The French accent is really bad, to the point where... So, my French roommate, who I live with... Uh, was listening to one of the audio logs from one of the French characters, and he was like, "Whoa, is is that a? Are they doing an African accent?" And I was like, "Whoa, this is really bad French." the The Russian accents are bad, certifiably bad. The one accent that they nail every time is well, there are two. They nail the Irish every time, yeah, and they nail the transatlantic every time. They use words like bunco. Uh, and Busto. Yeah, Busto was killing me. At like So funny. There was like a, they flipped the Busto switch halfway through the game. And then suddenly every other word they were saying was Busto, which I'm going to flip my Busto switch now. And as a human, I'm going to start saying transatlantic Bustos as often as possible because I love that word. Yeah, it's um, really weird how it never shows up. I mean, maybe once or twice in the beginning of the game, but really, truly in the last third of the game, it's... Every other dialogue line is is Frank Fontaine going, You're busto, kid. It's all over. <laughs> yeah, you better step back or I'm gonna busto all over your bust. Whoa. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna busto on your bust. <laughs> <laughs> that classic Whoa. Frank Fontaine line. Yeah, that's what earned it the M rating, this game. <laughs> yeah, and not all of the extremely violent murder and baby killing. Yeah, not that. Um... <laughs> Where even were we? We we got lost. Uh, the boss the battle. Yeah. The the boss the boss the boss battle. The boss battle. So so Frank Fontaine 
is basically this skeezy manipulator throughout the entire game. And then he kind of flips and becomes this Adam junkie where uh, basically what they what, what, what they do with Adam is they discover this slug in the bottom of the ocean, which they use to manipulate genetic code. And he's like, I'm going to suck up all the Adam and I'm going to be unkillable. So he starts sucking up all this Adam and you get to the boss room and it's just him just absolutely naked. He's nude, uh, roided out of his mind on Adam. And he's like a full on elemental man. And he's firing like fireballs and ice balls at you. But it does. So this is a classic criticism that I have of boss battles. I'm starting to realize Dwight, that I'm just really picky about my boss battles. That's fair. This happened in Batman Arkham Asylum, too, where they basically turned the Joker, like the, the boss battle of the game is the Joker, who's classically a thin little manipulator, into this roided out monstrosity who punches Batman to death. And this game is exactly the same. It takes this grifter, who is famously not a scrappy fighter, right? Who is, who is classically... He gets other people to do his fighting for him Mm -hmm. into this big burly puncher. And I find that so narratively disappointing. Totally. I will say that you get glimpses of him running away from you uh, as you're going into like Point Prometheus and um, the Proving Grounds. Like you see him like running through a doorway with clothes on, I should say. Um, So I will like to point out that as you're finishing up the final levels of Point Prometheus and Proving Grounds, he was just kind of hanging out in his boss battle room, roiding up, feeling real good. And he had a moment to himself. He was like, man, can't wait to punch that kid. Man, should I take these clothes off, though? I should probably strip, right? Like, I don't want to be wearing clothes for this one, you know? Like, I don't, I don't want to give him anything to grab onto. I think the <laughs> only way to do this is to be nude and oily. I gotta... Where's that uh, olive oil that I put over here earlier? Hey, you, spaghetti slicer, oil me up. Hey, okay, big boss. Uh, Yeah, no problem. I got it uh, right here in the palm of my hand. You big oily monkey, go bust on his bust, please. Would you kindly? Yeah, that's the boss battle. Yeah, that's the boss battle. He bustos your bust. That's the boss battle. He does. And uh, it's really easy. The boss battle is really easy. Always disappointing in video games. Yeah. Uh... Dwight, can I invite you into my Biosphere pod and we can uh, sink down into the depths of Goof? I would love that, Caleb. Um, I think we need better rewards for killing little girls. And we should explain the uh, the little sisters are um, being used to grow Adam. So these sea slugs uh, that produce Adam, I think were implanted in little girls because children have kind of like a property to be able to sustain Adam in their bodies. And what they do is they like, or have these crazy roided out like veins and stuff and they go around and um, with needles and harvest Adam out of junkies bodies after they're dead. Uh, And when you come across a little sister, you have an option. You can kill the little sister, take all of her Adam versus you can choose to save the little sister, suck all the Adam out of her body. Yeah, because they're really is no redeeming element to uh, harvesting the little sisters. You know, this is a thing in games. Games that give you, like, the choice of good and evil. 
So like some of those games, I'm just sitting there thinking like, who is choosing the evil option? I think the games, some games do it really right. Like I think Fable does it really well where it's like the mechanical benefit maybe outweighs the cost of committing evil acts, right? So like you get demonstrably stronger. So if you're if you're having a hard time with the game, the temptation would be there to kind of maybe harvest one of these little sisters for some more Adam. But um, at the end of the day, you get so much more from saving them. Yeah. Narratively. And I don't understand why anyone would get the, the bad ending by harvesting little sisters. Like that's, that's insane because the, you get a little bit more Adam, you get like 40 more Adam points per level, which is nothing. So really, truly there are no good rewards for harvesting little sisters other than the fact that they are hideously ugly. Oh, dude, they're like little Oliver Twist orphan girls. No, dude, they are golems. All of them look like Gollum before you uh, rescue them. The Gollum, like from the movie or from the game? From the game, actually. From the game, <laughs> Smeagol, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's very, very fair. Yeah, even after you save them, they have their eyes are way too big and their heads are way too big and they're just kind of cartoonishly hideous. Yeah, I will say that I think I found them more palatable prior to saving them because there was kind of a justification for being kind of hideous looking. Then after you save them, it's obvious they're using the same 3D model, but with a different texture. And just like the proportions are really unsettling with these children. Yeah, they still look like monsters. So that's what I'm saying. Like, what what are some better rewards we could have for, for killing these little girls? I think you have to get, A, a bunch more Adam. I think there should be specific um, plasmids that are like dark side only. You know, your force choke of the Bioshock world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. This is not a goof. I realize that I transitioned us into the goof section and this is just not a goof. No, no, no. We're, we're in the fixing section. The fixing section is the goof section, but not every fix is a goof. That's kind of our taxonomy. Yeah, yeah. So the other big like kind of spoiler is that your character was secretly born and developed in Rapture uh, and then sent to the real world uh, and then kind of brought back as a sleeper agent. Uh, and you have been conditioned to carry out any instructions given to you that were preceded by the phrase, would you kindly? So if anybody says anything to you, but says, would you kindly before saying it, then you must do that thing. So here's the big plot hole. If Tenenbaum doesn't want you to kill the little sisters, she knows the conditioning that they did to you. She could have just said, would you kindly not harvest, like not kill the little sisters. Would you kindly rescue the little sisters? Yeah, I I, uh, I don't know specifically what the conditions of the mental effects are that Fontaine and Ryan put on you, but yeah, I it is kind of a kind of a plot hole. Because I would imagine maybe you had to be Fontaine or Ryan to like use the would you kindly. Because like I would imagine that Jack, the main character, living in modern day America, would have gotten accidentally mind controlled all the time. Like, you're in the supermarket, and an older man next to you is like, Oh, excuse me, Sonny. Would you kindly reach the pickles for me? And then suddenly you do, like, a Zoolander, like, kung fu montage, where you're doing, like, backflips, sleeper agent style. You go, like, grab, like violently grab the pickles <laughs> for this old man and, like, do a three-point landing and, like, hand it to him. And you're like, who do you want me to murder? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super easy to get mind-controlled in America. 
you know, because we're also polite. Like in the South, if you were in the South, you just can't go to the South. Would you kindly come join me and my husband for a barbecue tonight? I'll be there. Do you want me to murder anybody for you? Would you like coleslaw or your <laughs> your husband's head on a, on a spit? <laughs> yeah, really show up and ruin the vibe of the barbecue because you've been preconditioned to accept all instructions uh from yeah. the host yeah yeah you're just you're just like you 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 walk into the barbecue covered in blood holding a, a plate of corn and and you're just like i'm here as instructed and everyone's <laughs> screaming and horrified yeah i had to kill three farmers for their corn but i got it because i i do think that you whenever there's gray area in a uh, instruction given to you it seems like you're preconditioned to take the murderous route of doing it yeah yeah because they talk about you like Hey, you're just a freak. You're a you're a monster. You're a weapon that I designed to get back at Andrew Ryan, you know? Andrew Ryan. It's it's a shame that his voice line changed to typical mobster because I was actually really enjoying hearing the words Andrew Ryan. The kind of Irish lilt Andrew Ryan. It was just so ASMR delightful. Uh-huh. I would listen to ASMR of um of Atlas before the big reveal, Atlas giving me instructions to murder people. Like, Pre-Fontaine Atlas. All right, kill Andrew Ryan for me, please. If you would, if you kindly, would you, would you kindly? <laughs> no, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I hate ASMR so much. <laughs> um, this is just kind of a simple one-off statement that may not lead to any conversation, but I just think more games need slug-based magic systems. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, like I think Avatar Last Airbender really needed some more slug tie-ins, you know, <laughs> for the for the elemental system. Yeah. I think I think D&D instead of spell slots, you need slug slots. Slug slots. <laughs> yeah, you have like a class ability that allows you to uh, regain slug points. Yeah, it's called Slug Out. Slug Out. Uh, I am a level five half-orc slugger. I'm a sluggist. Sluggist, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, so you're so you're like an unarmed fighter? No, no. I, I, I sling slugs. Yeah, I'm a slug slinger. I, I, uh, all my spells are slug-based. Uh, cut me some slack. I'm a slug slinger. I'm a sluggist. Yeah, yeah. The sleekest sluggist in all of Slan. In, in all of the sluglands. The sluglands. Um, yeah, no, I think that would really add some plot integrity to Avatar The Last Airbender because, you know, everybody has powers except for uh, your boy Sokka. And, like, maybe it was Sokka's choice to not have powers because he was grossed out by the slugs. Yeah, I, I uh, truly, I just think that, like, if someone's asking too many questions about a magic system, they're like, okay, but where does your magic come from really? Is it from like years of dedicated study or is it like, does it come from a divine power? Slugs. Yeah. Nah, man, slugs. Slugs. It's like the, it's like the default, like stop talking about the magic system, please answer in any like <laughs> fantasy fiction or, or anything that includes magic. It's just like, yeah, it's slugs. Um, anyway, wh what's for dinner tonight? Uh, Brandon Sanderson, you know, developing his new trilogy, The Slugland Archives, and like, you know, doing interviews. And they're like, so you always have such developed magical systems. Can you explain to us about Slugland Chronicles? And he's just like smoking a cigarette. He's like, <laughs> I got tired of the whole magic thing. It's slugs now. Okay, just slugs. Whoa, Brandon Sanderson, Rick, Rick from Rick and Woody. <laughs> 
Oh man. Um, and the word for dumbest bit yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goes to it's, us somehow finding a way to bridge the the uncrossable gap between Brandon Sanderson and Rick Sanchez. Yeah, yeah. Give us two, just two pop culture references, and we'll find a way to connect them with the game we're talking about. And it will, it will inevitably be a, a New Jersey smoker voice that will be yeah, the, yeah. It, the thing we tie them together with. Inevitably. Um, uh, okay, this is another pretty uncontroversial and obvious fix that we need to do to this game. Um, Big Daddies, instead of groaning and moaning unsexily, they need to have sexy voice lines that are, are up with the times. <laughs> so so I'm going to do a demonstration of the the old Big Daddy, and you're going to do a, an audio demonstration of your proposal for the new Big Daddy, okay? You ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sounds good. We have to add some, we have to add some reverb to this. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, reverb, start here. Okay, so here's the old Big Daddy. I'm looking for a twink to 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 get get me <laughs> I'm looking for a twink to get me with the reverb oh no, oh no. I hope a twink doesn't show up and and get me sure hope there ain't any twinks in here I was expecting you to go the Mona angle, like. No, God, that's not daddy. That's not daddy at all. Yeah. The big daddies need to be like, oh, man, I don't even know. I'm not. This is this shows how profoundly unsexy I am. I can't think of what a what a what a big daddy would sound like. You've been outed as not sexy, Caleb. Uh Oh, the, the the viewer before was kind of imagining you as a Chris Hemsworth like figure, but now you're just straight Steve Buscemi to everybody. Oh shit! I <laughs> this is really bad. I didn't want that to, to be the case. End the episode here. Yeah, yeah, we're done. It's over. Yeah, so I'm I'm actually quitting the podcast. If if I can't be sexy, I don't want to be on it. Um, no, like you you know what I mean though, like the Big Daddy, where it's like people refer to the Big Daddies as like, oh yeah, we've got these big daddy's walking around and you're like oh the 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 guys in the diver suits no no we just brought a bunch of big daddies with us down to rapture we got a real himbo problem down here yeah yeah we got a huge himbo problem down here it's big daddies (laughs) they're all colonel armstrong from full metal alchemist yeah it's just big daddies all the way down in rapture anyways uh i would like to introduce um a new topic of conversation for us please thank you um one that is very timely. This is the one that is going to ground us uh, at our current date, July 28th, 2023. Okay. In that I recently, in the past two weeks, went to see the Barbie movie, which I, I very much enjoyed. thought it was great. But I couldn't help but notice that the Barbie movie and Bioshock are pretty much the same thing. Like, there Whoa. are hardly any differences between the two. Okay. What's your, what's your angle? Okay. So, um, spoilers for Barbie and and Bioshock. Um, so there's a world outside of our own created to be a utopia, but uh, we watch before our very eyes as it is toppled by class struggles and infighting. Uh, there is a criminal mastermind who smuggled in the greed of the outside world and staged a coup within this utopia. Uh, and the city's grand overlord was able to mind control its inhabitants into doing his bidding. Um, but then the main character, 
who originated from this utopia but spent some time in the outside world, comes back as an agent of chaos. It's being guided by a countercultural freedom fighter, weird Barbie, to take down the city's egomaniacal leader. Uh, they also all have like they both are reusing the same character models uh and names and textures oh my god they're all just splicers they're all just barbies you know they're all big daddies they're all just kens you know there's really only like two people living in either of these cities Um, holy shit dwight also there are strong themes of like free will and choice paving your own path class struggles escapism late stage capitalism uh, and in the end, what it really comes down to is the liberation of women. Oh my God, Dwight. That's insane. <laughs> They're the same thing. Barbie and Bioshock are the same. They even start with the same letter. Oh my God. Barbershock. Barbershock. That's not what happens when your barber accidentally nicks you on the ear and you go, ooh, wow. Barbershock is what happens when deep underwater you become an advocate of women's rights. Yes. Uh, I do think I do think Greta Gerwig would be one of the um, film directors invited by Sander Cohen down into the oceanic depths. <laughs> I think this just proves we should give the the Bioshock movie that's been in development hell since forever should be handed over to Greta Gerwig for her next project. Yeah. Yeah. After she does Narnia, she should definitely do Bioshock the movie. Yeah. Or maybe when she does uh, Narnia, I can find ways to tie Narnia to Bioshock. I don't think it would be that hard either. Yeah. It's a world totally separate from the re- the real one that is supposed to be a paradise. And the fact that Greta Gerwig is doing it probably will mean it has something about female liberation in there. So it'll yeah. be great. So it all, t- it, it all still hangs together. Yeah. Perfect. Wow. That's insane. I had never really thought about that, but you're so right. So, Caleb, I have some other goofs for you, if you would be willing. Yeah, sure. Um, this is kind of just like a general thoughts I have. These are Twight's shower thoughts. It's kind of like a observational comedy hour. Yeah, yeah. This is the open mic. I'm just going to share some, like, some humorous insights I have from the game. Oh, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So, first things first, um, you are Jack. Your dad is Andrew Ryan. Spoiler alert, you find out that you're um, Andrew Ryan's son. Um Meaning your name is Jack Ryan. Are you Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan? Whoa. Are you... You never see your own face, but I have to assume you look like John Krasinski. And you are a murder machine. Much much like yeah. John Krasinski was in Jack Ryan. Yeah, and I don't really know anything about Tom Clancy or Jack Ryan. But I bet you if I did, right now I would have an elaborate goof kind of pinning together these two... Um, cinematic universes so if you know a lot about both of them you can just do it for yourself right now in the dwight voice do your impression of me yeah we'll 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 go ahead and give you a couple moments of silence to 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 insert your own bit and we'll like uh we'll do laughs for when you like get to really prescient or funny parts yeah of yeah, your explanation. yeah 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 okay here we go <laughs> nice yeah Oh, no way. Totally. Yes, totally. Man, that's hysterical. Yeah, you know, you're so right. (laughs) Your Italian accent is so much better than mine. Yeah, that was good. I think, yeah, that was good. That was good. Yeah, I think I think we gave them plenty of time to say a funny Jack Ryan bit. Okay, 
So next crazy um, shower thought from Dwight is that um, there's exactly one bathroom that really stood out to me. I texted you about it, Caleb. Yeah, you did, because it was hilarious. It's so funny. I think it's in the first level. There's a, a men's bathroom where there's like kind of um, dividers like you would be used to between urinals. But instead of urinals, they're just normal toilets. But there's no doors. <laughs> it's just a wall of normal toilets. And I, I'm never going to vote libertarian because if this is the future they have for us, I am not on board. <laughs> if this is like a classic libertarian thing to just have toilets without stall doors, then I am, I will get as political as I need to be to oppose this from, from becoming real. You're a lot more environmentally aware than I am because I distinctly remember walking into that bathroom and not thinking anything was weird. <laughs> Being like, yeah, normal, normal little bathroom for Caleb here. Maybe I'll drop a quick deuce, you know. But I didn't even notice, so I guess they, I guess they win because I didn't even notice. The libertarian future that Ron Paul wants for America is bathrooms that are claustrophobic, small, has kind of like a semicircle wall, and along that semicircle are just five toilets, kind of facing each other, so that you and the boys can just have a little powwow um, <laughs> without any privacy. Uh, just kind of like staring into each other's eyes while you make your mud pies. Oh man, beautiful poetry. <laughs> I just don't think uh, I just don't think Andrew Ryan wanted anything getting between um, his men and their ideas. You know, be that a stall door or poor people. You know, he didn't want anything getting between his men and those ideas. A door on the stall is a stall in the progress of history. Yes. Only the parasite needs privacy when he poops. The parasite takes a dump all by his lonesome. A man chooses. A man chooses to look another man in the eye as Poseidon's kiss blesses his cheeks. Yes, yes. We are the hand that guides the great flusher knob. (laughs) Yeah, we are the hand that guides the great plunger chain. (laughs) Um, I also thought it was really funny. All of the splicers are like running around kind of mumbling to themselves. And you're kind of like, what's up with these guys? But secretly, they're all just podcasters. And this is the reason why there are so many audio logs. It's because every character had their own podcast. Yeah. That they were like recording kind of like off the cuff vlog style content. I, um, you've described hell, first of all. Yeah. A, a land of only podcasters. Hell. Yeah. That's hell. Um, podcaster rapture is hell. Um, I will also say it's quite possible that these aren't podcasters, but maybe they're Twitch streamers. And maybe these are like old VODs uh, that you just are getting the audio from. Yeah, I think that would also make sense, but also would be hell. Yeah, I think that'd be more hell than the podcaster option. Yeah, yeah, prop. yes, definitely. Uh-huh. Yes, coming down hard on live streamers here. Screw you guys. Live streamers way worse than podcasters. They have a harder job, but they're worse at it. Exactly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the Grapple Boys to do a hit on all live streamers. Yeah. I'm going to plant grappling hooks uh, in their um, live stream backgrounds. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. Caleb, what you got for me? Yeah, what do you think about doing... Um, like a middle ending, right? So like I suggested at the beginning that uh, the bad ending is too bad, the good ending is too good. I think there should be a a middle ending for saving some of the Little Sisters and harvesting some of the Little Sisters. It's a, um, 
basically you just kind of let Rapture, instead of taking control of it or running away from it, you just kind of let it fester and maybe regain some of its normalcy by starting a sushi restaurant because you're in the middle of the ocean, right? You, you have an endless <laughs> uh-huh. supply of fish, fresh. Yeah. You know, tuna all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think you employ little sisters as sushi chefs for your sushi restaurant, right? Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. And that's a great way to, like, make sure that Adam is being distributed evenly in your society. Is like, hey, we have the uh, Adam sashimi, you know? Come here and have this slug on your on a on a slab of rice, and that's yum yum, <laughs> yum yum. You have all this money that you're too insane to spend, so come to our sushi restaurant and spend it on some sushi, and sate yeah. your hunger. I will say splicers don't tip great. No, they're horrible tippers. Yeah, I love the the sushi restaurant. I would say so. The few little sisters that you did free would find out about the other little sisters that you didn't save and would probably be pretty upset with you and would probably try to assassinate you in this ending. So you have kind of like like a very sunny, happy montage of you starting up a business that's like intercut with you like having to use your flamethrower to kill some like slightly older little sisters who are coming after you trying to avenge their fallen <laughs> uh, fellow children. Whoa, dude. Yeah, so it's definitely like that, um, like that tonal whiplash uh, for the ending there. That's because it would be too happy otherwise, you know. Yes, I. Well, I mean, yeah, you're right. It does have to be kind of halfway between the good and the bad ending. Uh huh. And also, they would review bomb your uh, site on <sighs> TripAdvisor. Man, I hate that. Right from all the people who are trying to get to Rapture and find a good place to eat, you're the only place that's open. Uh huh. But it has a bunch of negative reviews, so you're gonna steer clear. Ugh, that's such a bummer. Uh, what do you think about a Little Mermaid tie-in? I love it. Yes. Yeah, I think I think Disney, uh, in the vein of like Kingdom Hearts, there <laughs> needs to be an area in the game where you can go hang out with Sebastian the Crab. You know what's hilarious is I actually in my goofs, I also wrote down Sebastian the Crab. Nice, awesome. Yes. So I'm super in. Uh, I, <laughs> I think Sebastian the Crab. So I was thinking like. On your radio, you're kind of going in between Atlas, who's kind of like an intense freedom fighter. You've got Andrew Ryan, who's taunting you. And you've got like the villain of the stage who's also radioing you, who's like usually kind of somebody who's gone insane uh, or like a very concerned scientist type. It's all too intense. You need something to kind of like ease the tension on your radio. And I think the obvious option is to have Sebastian the Crab call you uh, every once in a while and sing you a little song. (laughs) That's a great idea. Uh, Andrew Ryan and um, Atlas are going at it against each other. They're just they're just spouting hate towards each other. And then Sebastian pops up and he goes, "The seaweed is always greener in somebody else's <laughs> lake." And it's you know he starts singing about you know trying to pacify the whole issue. <laughs> yeah, Atlas is like, they're, yeah, they're both aware of Sebastian. They're just like, "Shut up, Sebastian." Okay, okay, everybody, under the sea, under the sea. And they're just like, oh, Sebastian, can you please just shut up for a little bit? Get get off this channel. We're resolving our our geopolitical trauma. I, Sebastian, you wee bastard, keep out of this. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and then he would probably just be like. Oh. <laughs> okay, man, no problem. <laughs> um, Caleb, uh, philosophobia mode. So here's the thing. 
you want to play Bioshock, but you're scared of being deep, deep under the ocean. So you need the setting to be altered, uh, kind of like an arachnophobia mode. Oh. So what it does is when you are in the tubes and you can actually see like the water around you, you're not seeing any water. Instead, it's kind of like... Um, it's almost like hamster tubes, and outside you just see the Windows XP default wallpaper, yeah. like that yeah. green rolling hill with like the sunshine. <laughs> and it's just it's it's not like a dynamic texture at all. It's just a flat texture. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously a skybox. You can see the seams, um, <laughs> and there's still like coral on the ground. <laughs> there's just oh, not like any water. That's awesome. I love that. The first scene where you crash your. Um, you're playing into the water and you're swimming to the lighthouse. Um, you crash into a cloud and you're walking across the cloud to um, lighthouses are too. Uh, they're too nautical. So you're walking to like a McDonald's. Whoa. Are we suggesting that Bioshock Infinite, the third game in the franchise, was was <laughs> a pivot away from thalassophobia? Too many people complained yes. that they were afraid of the game. So they were like, ah, fine, we'll put it in the clouds. I is exactly what I'm saying because it's it's just true. Do the research; you'll find out that it's completely correct. Uh, it was because everybody's like sharks. Sharks are so scary, man. Can't you make Sky America for me? And Ken Levine was like, "You forced my hand. Let it be so. I wash my hands of this." <laughs> yeah, I uh, loved Bioshock Infinite. I played that game. The only game I have not played in the franchise is the second one, and I'm excited to jump into it. Yeah, oh, you should totally play that. Let me know what you think. From what I've done, little research of it, it seems really similar to Bioshock 1 in a lot of ways. Yeah, sounds fine to me. I enjoyed Bioshock 1. Yeah, the only difference is you do play as Sebastian the Crab in that one. Oh, yeah, I, you know, I always thought that was kind of a controversial um, choice on the developer end. He's in the first game in a little secret area. Um, he he pops yeah. up in the audio logs and stuff. Uh huh. You if, if you do the Konami code, you get Sebastian's audio logs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And then in the second game, you literally play as Sebastian the Crab. The Bioshock iceberg, at the very ground level, is uh, a lot of theory craft about um, the Sebastian sequence. Uh, kind of like a frame of viewing the events of Bioshock that strongly points to Sebastian being kind of the shadow man behind all the events and plot. Hey, I just realized all the things we're saying right now are nonsense. <laughs> Let's go to a new goof. <laughs> you ever get really embarrassed on the podcast because you've been talking about uh, Sebastian for too long? Because <laughs> I, I do. Oh, man. I love how you I love how you jumped ship. You were just like, and hey, I just realized this is absolute nonsense. <laughs> like, we got to pivot. They'll, we'll lose every single listener if we talk about Sebastian any longer. <laughs> we just yes and ourselves into a hall. Um, okay, Caleb. I would like to, uh, okay, so we're the true pivot. I would like to invite you with me. Um, I have prepared kind of a guided tour of each level of Bioshock um, with goofs along the way, kind of like a director's commentary, but instead of the director, it's um, the goof rector, uh, Dwight. Yes, the goof, the 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 goof rector, the goof, the goof rector, and I would love to hear your goofs as well. But uh, you know, this is the first game I think that we've played that has levels. That's like a linear narrative game. 
Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. So we got to break it down level to level. Uh, give the people what they want, which is like that nitty gritty gameplay footage of what the game actually looks like different as we're remaking it here. Totally. A hundred percent. You start out the game and we've already declared that instead of a, instead of a lighthouse, it's McDonald's. Uh, you go down, you know, you get the wrench and the first like main, like actual substantial level you get to is the medical pavilion. Yes. And I think one easy fix here is that, um, you start the medical pavilion, you get slated for surgery, and with plastic surgery, you get access to a character creator. Yeah, that's a cool idea, and you get to change your breast size. Exactly. That's That was the thing that really um, definitely surprised me, is that here we, have, um, here we have a plastic surgeon who can do unbelievable things, but not a single boob or butt in sight or even any references or jokes to, about boobs or butts. No, I think I think one of the characters is like, I want to be beautiful. I want my I want a bust that 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 bust. <laughs> I, wanna, I want you to go busto on my bust, doc. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think there is an audio log somewhere where someone says that. But I think that uh, that should be um, Steinman, the crazed plastic surgeon who's in the medical pavilion. That should be his like thing. Not that he's like doing too much to people's faces and like creating these asymmetrical uh, monstrosities of people's faces. It's butts. Yeah. And every time you come across like a deformed patient, they're always face down with like these shapely booties that are just like asymmetrical. Some of them are bouncy. Some of them are firm. And you could probably like, do a little like you walk up, you press E and it jiggles it for you. Yeah, you do a little butt slap jiggle animation. That's great. Uh-huh. You know, I I uh, I hate to see the splicers go, but I love to watch them walk away. <laughs> um, okay, but here's the real thing. You get to the end of the medical pavilion. And I thought it was kind of lame that you just fight this doctor. Because like, I have a brother-in-law who's in med school. And I can guarantee you, they don't teach you how to shoot guns or like murder people in med school. Yeah. So like... I don't know why he's so good at like gunning you down. Instead, he should like reveal his ultimate creation, and that's the boss fight. You walk up, and he's like ranting like crazy. He's like, "Yes, in all of my years, I've only ever had one perfect creation—the blue one. I reveal to you the original Sonic from the first trailers of the Sonic movie." Oh God, no! I thought you were gonna say Gonzo the Muppet. <laughs> No, Sonic is way scarier though. The, the 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 unused Sonic animation from the first Sonic movie. Yeah, first draft Sonic is his masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, we guide the great chain. <laughs> no gods, no kings, only speed. Yeah. And Steinman is just like sitting it like behind bulletproof glass, crying, just like he's perfect. He is perfect. I love that. That's a, that's a great idea. All right, so we move now. From the medical pavilion. Yeah, after you defeat, um, so after you defeat Sonic and you go to the the bathosphere. Yeah, then it takes you to Neptune's bounty, which is like the fisheries. There's some things that uh, seemed a bit unnecessary to me, like the idea that there would be fisheries under the ocean, when it seems like a much more efficient option would just to have windows, and like anytime you want to fish, just open the window and grab one. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like straight up just a latch and you unlatch it and you just reach into the water and you grab a fish and you just pull it. Exactly, yeah. Uh-huh. Physics tells us that that's a thing that can happen. Yeah, it'd be fine. And, you know, it's the ocean. There's fish everywhere. Every time you stick your hand into the ocean, there's like a 90% chance that you emerge accidentally with a fish. 
Yeah, yeah. As a fisherman myself, I can tell you that that's deeply correct. Yeah. So uh, no need for fisheries at all. Uh, but as you're making your way through the fisheries, you're trying to convince this guy, Peach, Peach Wilkins, great name, by the way. Yeah. You are trying to convince him to let you through this door so you can get down to the Smuggler's Bay where um, Atlas's family supposedly is. But he's like kind of paranoid. And like legitimately, I I can't remember if they explain it in the game, but thinking back on it, it feels like something I dreamt. He's like, I'll make a deal for you. I'll let you into my lair and come through if you take pictures for me, for my Instagram account of these crazy dancing um, splicer dudes. And it just makes no sense. Like, what is it a... Like, why does he want pictures of these guys? What's his deal? Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's 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 wild. I, the the camera research mechanic is really stupid and dumb. Get get rid of the camera. Here'd be a, a better fix for this. He doesn't want you to take pictures of spider slicers. Uh, that doesn't make sense. Instead, he wants feet pics. No, oh, that makes so much sense. Oh, Dwight, you're making great fixes to this game. <laughs> and there's this kind of moral gray area where you're like, oh, do I really want to give this guy feed picks? What's he going to do with them, you know? And maybe maybe the way that we reconcile it, like, gameplay-wise, is like, you're like, okay, Peach, whatever you say, and you take off your shoes and your socks, and you're about to take a picture. He's looking through the peephole at you, and he's like, ew, gross, no, no, put those away. I need good feet, okay? Man, you got some nasty dogs down there. And like, he's just like really mean to you about your feet. And then maybe throughout, like you have to go find more attractive feet, which maybe are attached to spider slicers. Um, but he's like radioing you throughout the level, just criticizing your feet. It's like, dude, I don't, you gotta tell me next time. You gotta warn me next time. So um, the other thing that you should be able to do in Neptune's bounty is you should be able to get um, your omega-3 vitamin B12 fish oil plasmid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ought to, you you got to stay healthy down there in Rapture. <laughs> yeah, um, that's just an obvious one. Also, um, Peach, when you do finally get through the door after you show him your picks, uh, he makes you deposit all of your weapons and then fight him without any weapons and just plasmids. And I died like eight or nine times to that fight. Oh, dang, really? I didn't even die once. Dude, I was so overwhelmed because there's a turret that's shooting you. There's like three dudes. I never used my wrench. Uh, I was trashed with my wrench. And like my um, plasmids just weren't doing much against these guys. Uh, it was my least favorite part of my playthrough. Uh, so I think that maybe instead of fighting you, Peach should have challenged you to, uh, I think a karaoke battle would have been a good addition. Yeah, or like a yeah, or like a photography challenge or something like that. Where it's like <laughs> Yeah, that would have been good. Uh-huh. You have to you have to run around Rapture and take cool aesthetic photos for your themed Instagram and you have to make sure they're all they all make sense together in the same brand, you know. You see how many followers you can get. It culminates in a photography exhibition and Sander Cohen from Fort Frolic comes and like rates your um photos and the loser gets turned into a plaster uh cast. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And that's a great ending for the game, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's like the the baddest ending is that you're a bad photographer. You make it a third of the way through the game and you get plastered. The 2K launcher uh, requires you to log in via your Instagram account. And um, if you fail that part, it deletes your Instagram. Dang. And it's just like, it's like, you shouldn't have this. You're so bad at photography. Sander Cohen really shames you for your lack of artistic vision. And uh, you lose your... Uh, Instagram. That would be funny if like a celebrity influencer 
like randomly their account gets shut down. They start up like on Twitter or something like, okay, sorry, was playing Bioshock. I'm going to see if Instagram will help me get it back. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I lost, you know, 200,000 followers because... Uh... Uh, <laughs> because um, Sander Cohen liked Peach's feet pics better than uh, my pictures of Big Daddies. Dang. That's life. Rough times. That's life. That's life. Um, okay, so after this, you get onto the Smuggler's Cave, and um, Atlas has been feeding you lies about having a family. And this is a bit confusing. I don't know why he routed you through the Smuggler's Cave and why he didn't just, like, get you to go to Andrew Ryan's office right from the beginning if he was mind-controlling you the whole time. Yeah, But he had kind of, yeah. like, fed you this elaborate story about, like, my family's down there. They're in the bathysphere. You got to go save them. Um, so I think that my headcanon is that Atlas, a.k.a. Frank Fontaine, did have a family. And he, like, was kind of half-heartedly, like, maybe I should try and save them. But if you use the speedrun strats and you get through fast enough, you actually can save his family. And he's got a wife and son. And the wife is kind of like a spiteful, kind of like they're on the border of divorce. They have a really toxic relationship. She's like, oh, did Frankie send you? Oh, so I guess he cares about me now, huh, does he? (laughs) And the son's like, whatever, mom, gosh, shut up. The son is, um, he's playing like a Game Boy Advance the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's got Nintendo down out. there in Rapture. Yeah. Yeah, because we've already covered iPhones weren't a thing uh, for very long back then. So he's, yeah, he's yeah. got a DSi uh, and he's he's doing Picto Chat with his friends the whole game. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, um, actually. I love it. And it's <laughs> the entire rest of the game becomes an escort mission where you have to drag yeah. this nagging wife. Well, no, I think she's a badass. Like, I don't think, I think she's escorting you. She's like, we're going to pay my husband a visit. Oh, hell yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So she kind of like takes over the plot. You're kind of just an accessory to her. In fact, it's hard to even keep up with her. And then this is how we resolve the final battle is there is no final battle. She just comes in and totally dresses down Frank Fontaine. Yeah, yeah. She's like, look at you. You're drunk. You're high. You rot all this Adam. You thought you could just leave us out for dead? Listen, I told you we were going to church in the bathosphere and to be there by 10 a.m. Where were you? Drunk. Hungover. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Frank Fontaine's like, baby, listen. No, I was doing, I'm a titan of industry. You know, I, oh, come on. And she's just giving him what for. And she's like, look at your son. He's been playing video games all day. What are you going to get some discipline into him, huh? Honey, I, I, I love Nintendo. That's how we bond. <laughs> <laughs> honey, he's he's playing with Yoshi. I love Yoshi, honey. <laughs> I love honey, you love Yoshi. Shut up, you bastard! <laughs> I hate Yoshi! I hate all those little dinosaur guys, okay? You and your splicer friends need to come home <laughs> at a reasonable time. I'm talking to all of their wives and they're just as pissed off as me. <laughs> uh and then she does the the classic like school mom thing where she's like, okay, go apologize to him, to Jack. Go apologize. Nice. And he walks up kind of sheepishly. His head is bowed. His hands are like between his legs. And he's like, uh, listen, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I was being mean. I was being a bully. I'm sorry. Is that good? Say it like you mean it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh. Uh, I'm I'm really uh, sorry for all this trouble. Uh, I think I'm gonna go home and sit in front of the game. If you want to, maybe come over and uh, watch the big game with me. I I'm sure we would appreciate that. 
Um, that that is perfect. Um, and this also introduces another thing, which is that there's no sports in um, Rapture, which I think is a huge shame. Oh, there is actually sports um, in Rapture. They they talk what? about a yeah, they talk about a sports enhancing plasmid. You never see it. It's like totally not talked about ever or addressed ever, like in the environment of the world. But they do talk about sports. Um, well, the problem is there's no NASCAR. In oh Rapture. yeah, there definitely is no NASCAR. There can't be streets. Um, well, there, there's going to be NASCAR because, you know, Andrew Ryan, he's thinking about what titans of industry to bring with him down to the bottom of the ocean. And he's like, first off, we've got to get Frank Fontaine. We've got to get Tenenbaum. We've got to get the one lady who runs Arcadia. Who else should we get? Jeff Gordon. Of course. How can I forget Jeff? Yeah. The fastest driver. (laughs) I need him. We got to get Henry Ford down here. (laughs) Yeah. Henry Ford is kind of like a, the prototypical nascar driver maybe he brought henry ford down to try and like create industry and henry ford once he was kind of freed from the pressures of the outside world was just like nah man i just want to race so yeah that's uh that's the smuggler's cave and it's like it's adjacent to the nascar track and you just hear you just like can see from across the ocean in a different like glass tube just cars racing around constantly. You see one crash into the glass and then the whole tube fills with water and you just hear Andrew Ryan over the radio like, shit, there goes my NASCAR team. (laughs) I spent so much money getting my logo on that car. And look, literally down the drain. (laughs) Crushed by the intense pressure of the ocean. (laughs) I thought Jimmy Johnson knew how to drive better. Anyways, uh, so yeah, you pass the NASCAR track and you make your way to Arcadia. We're still on the tour, Caleb. I'm I'm the kind of passive-aggressive tour guide who's um, moving us along. Good. Uh, grabbing your arm. Uh, you're in Arcadia, which is the, um, like, this is where it's the trees and kind of like the farms. Uh, and it produces all the oxygen. Which is super neat. When it comes to aesthetics, this was my favorite level. I really liked Arcadia, which I think Arcadia's widely the least liked level and gameplay wise i can see why that is but like look wise and vibe wise i really dug arcadia gotta be honest you have to do a lot of backtracking in arcadia yeah that part was really frustrating i found there was like kind of it broke off into different paths that i found frustrating and i would go to an area too early and then have to go back to it later and there would be new enemies there so i found that part pretty frustrating um but arcadia looks cool and um, there's a famous thing in Arcadia where kind of halfway through, Andrew Ryan starts poisoning all of the trees. And there's like this thick green smoke everywhere um, that's killing all of the trees. So an easy first um, fix here is instead of Andrew Ryan trying to poison all the trees, maybe he just kind of wants you to slow down, chill out, and he's going to hotbox Arcadia for you. Yeah, that's, a, that's what I was thinking too. I was like, oh, you know, I think Arcadia really needs a weed farm you know, to chill out uh-huh. rapture, you know, T- too many libertarian ideologies clashing. I think we just need to relax. You slow down a bit. Totally. And then like all of the splicers would also kind of relax and you could actually talk with them about life for a little bit. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. It's like the, it's like the, um, Christmas in the trenches, right? Everyone <laughs> kind of gets super high and then comes out and you just get to hang out with the people of rapture. Like they normally would be. They're just like, yeah, you know, I came down here um, hoping to maybe make it big. And the... They don't get high. They get just like 
unsplicered. They just become normal again. Yeah, yeah. They, they go from being absolutely insane maniacs to just being normal because that's the effect that weed has on insanity. Uh-huh, exactly. Weed is the, the all-cure. Um, and you could, like, tell them about their behavior, like, dude, you were shooting me two minutes ago. And he's like, what? Shut up, dude. I was not. Dude, that's crazy. I think I, I think I would remember that. Yeah, and then the weed eventually filters out of the system, and then they're just back to singing Jesus Loves Me. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, another thing. So, in Arcadia, you've got to, like, unpoison it. The way you do that is you have to collect a bunch of resources to make kind of this thing that will, like, do an unpoison. The Lazarus Vector. It'll do a big Mondo-level unpoison. Yeah, which is kind of goofy, because all the trees are yeah. killed... And then you yeah. bring them all back, which is insane plot hole implications. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. It's sci-fi, whatever. The funniest thing to me is that there's two things you need, like a special enzyme and then just distilled water, like just kind of like normal water that is just water. I know, like, not all water is distilled water, like you couldn't use tap water, but still, like, I think it would be hilarious if you're like going and getting all of these um, enzymes and then you get like a radio and it's from Atlas. He's like, all right, I found a good source of distilled water. There's a mini fridge with like seven Dasanis in it. Go get the Dasanis. <laughs> and you just go get like a thing of Dasanis. It's like, great. That was the whole level was me traveling to this mini fridge. And then you're like grasping. You're doing that thing like you're the parent at the soccer match who's like, trying to grab all of the water bottles in one go. So you're like hugging seven Dasanis for the rest of the level. Yeah, and you can't use any of your plasmids or any of your guns, and you have to just kind of run through the level clutching a 12-pack of Dasanis. And this could be like a little product placement for Dasani, because like the splicers would be like walking around like, it's not true, I told her it's not true. Uh, oh, is that Dasani? Wow, my favorite brand of water, Dasani. Only the purest distilled water. Ah, that refreshing taste. <laughs> really makes me feel better living in a libertarian wasteland. Dasani, drink it today. I'll kill you! <laughs> oh, yeah, that's really good. Uh, I, I do think that more video games, as we established in the Minecraft episode, we need so much more product placement in our video games. Yeah, more radio ads, please. Yeah, yeah, I'm begging you. Yeah, so you get that stuff, you make the Lazarus Vector, and then it's on to everybody's favorite level, Fort Frolic. You're facing off against Sandra Cohen, who's this insane artist. Uh, he's a musical artist, film, theater, but especially um, statue sculpting. Yeah, he likes, he likes, we've alluded to it a couple times in the episode, but he likes dunking people in plaster and, and killing them in cool positions. Yeah, so when they're, when they're dead, he turns them into statues. Uh, and it really got me thinking, uh, you know, cremation or burial is kind of like a big question for some people. Why not statuization? Because um, it's horrifying. I think that there's enough people who hate their families out there that your last will and testament be like, um, my son of a bitch uncle, make me a statue and put me in his living room. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see now that there is a market indeed for, for becoming a plaster statue. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Then it could just be kind of like a spiteful way to go out is like to become like this big inconvenient statue that people have to like call movers to get you out of their house. Yeah, and the legal team's like, dude, I'm sorry, bastard uncle. There's nothing we can do. Like it's his last will and testament. We have to do this. 
It's you know how last will and testaments are. They pretty much override every other legal precedent. I mean, yeah, as far as I know. It's the Uno reverse card of legality. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I really hope I have a good, happy family who loves me so I don't have to become a plaster statue <laughs> in their homes. Um, yeah, that would be kind of a funny episode of Storage Wars where they're betting on a storage container and they open it up and it's just got like a plaster statue of some dude in here. They're like, whoa, okay. This one's got a dead guy. Who wants to start the bidding? $20,000. <laughs> $20,000. Don't ask me questions. I want him. So that got me thinking. Also, Fort Frolic has a, a mall, which is cool. And I liked all the little stores you go in, but I couldn't help but notice there was not a GameStop at that mall. Yeah, which is which is embarrassing, right? Because video games are art, just like films and, and music. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Sander Cohen uh, shows no sign of being engaged in the video game space at all. He's a snob. He's one of these people who is like insisting video games aren't art. He hasn't embraced it yet. Yeah, he's he's weird like that. And I mean like, you know, I would say that, you know, 1812 Overture and um, Flappy Bird are around the same equivalent <laughs> quality. Yeah, I, I mean like Fortnite, Citizen Kane, I kind of get their, like I get them mixed up in my brain because they're so equivalent to me. Yeah, yeah, and we made that point in our episode too. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Loot Llama is Rosebud. Yep. Of course. I would say, so a good alternative boss fight for Fort Frolic, because like the boss fight is kind of like optional there. Yeah, um, it is. And it's super easy. Yeah. Um. So instead, he'd be like, okay, you helped me create, you know, you're like killing his betrayers and taking photos of them throughout that level to help him do like this big art installation of photos of his dead friends. Which is such a shitty art installation. It's so bad. <laughs> it looks so terrible. It's like, you have no taste. This is this. It looks awful. Um, you can tell they asked the intern to make that 3D model. Yeah, yeah. But I think it would be great if afterwards he's like, "Time for one final performance," and he takes you over to the stage with the piano on it. And suddenly, what's that knock at your door? You open up your door, and you have um, a Guitar Hero controller and that new vest that they're doing for the new Assassin's Creed game that um, lets you feel realistic stab wounds. Whoa. Yes, and it becomes a rhythm battle. Yes, and if you don't do it good, you are like physically hurt in real life. That's... Uh, um, and you can actually die if you play too poorly. Yeah, well, if you, if you die in the game, you die for real. You die in real life. And you can't keep playing unless you put on the, um, the Assassin's Creed vest, so... Yeah, I think I think as many like auxiliary controllers that we can add to a game, the better. Yeah, it's almost like a one-to-one evaluation of how good the game is. It's how many um, pieces of hardware, uh, extra hardware, we invented for it. Yeah, um, I think in that sense, maybe the Wii was the best console we ever created. <laughs> uh, easily, yeah. Uh, except for I did recently find out that the Dreamcast launched with a fishing rod for like a bass fishing game. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and that's pretty killer. That's yeah. so sick. I've been listening to uh, Into the Aether, great podcast. They just released an episode about the history of the Dreamcast, which was a delightful uh, episode. They went through with Chris uh, Chris Plant, the editor of Polygon, um, was basically just explaining the history of the Dreamcast. And they're talking about the wild um, hardware pieces they had for it. The VMU, which is like a built-in Tamagotchi that lives in your Dreamcast controller and doubles as a memory stick. That's so cool. 
Yeah. Um, Dreamcast, wild stuff. So uh, anyways, the other thing for Fort Frolic is instead of just like killing these random dudes who Sander Cohen has random beef with, instead you should be tracking down the people who gave him his album poor reviews on Rate Your Music and Metacritic. Yeah, yeah, he's like a SoundCloud rapper and people are leaving like <laughs> nasty comments and they're like, yeah, this guy has whack bars and he's like, go kill that guy. <laughs> yeah, get money, get bitches. Everybody in stitches. Your boy, Sander Cohen, gets all the riches. Um, Someone should kill this guy. He's terrible. <laughs> yeah. The comments are all like KYS, like you yeah, suck. Yeah, yeah. Andrew like, Ryan what? comments. What? Yeah, Andrew comments. <laughs> <laughs> Go home, Sander. Go back to the surface. We don't want you here yeah, anymore. Yeah. You're 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 banned from Rapture. Get out of here. The final boss of the area then could be. Um, do you know Anthony Fantano of the Needle Drop? Yeah, of course. Biothony Shock Tano here, Internet's busiest music nerd. I'm here to kill Jack Ryan. I'm gonna give him a light to decent too when it comes to being a protagonist. Oh man, brutal blow. You lose all your health. (laughs) Hey guys, here's some uh, vegan cookie recipes that Jack Ryan sent me over the weekend. I think think that makes a lot of sense why he would be down there because he's he's really kind of a cynical guy when it comes to music. (laughs) Yeah, he's... He's like very like kind of self serious contrarian. Uh, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Sander Cohen. Sander Cohen loves the needle drop. He's obsessed with it. Well, he started out that way, but then uh, needle drop did not like his newest album, his rap album. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's the boss fight. Like you're, you have to as you're fighting with um, Fantano, you have to run around and like turn on phonographs with his record on it. <laughs> and and Fantano's like, yeah, Fantano's like, oh this is whack this is like a light to decent zero this is yeah these are terrible light to decent zero uh-huh or it could be like um the uh the yakuza um karaoke minigame which i'm obsessed with where as you're fighting him you also have to be doing different button inputs to sing along to the rap that um sander cohen wrote yeah yeah I, I i love it i think i think either direction here anthony fantano rhythm hell game um, maybe both. I think that's a great alternative boss fight for, for this area. Uh, it's perfect. And after you kind of deal with that whole situation, you head over to Hephaestus. And I will say I have fewer goofs from this point on because I didn't actually play these ones. I just watched them. Um, but Hephaestus is kind of like the uh, the gritty, like mechanical underworkings of the city. And you've got to go build an EMP so that you can override the door to Andrew Ryan's office, which is pretty cool. Um, it's a fun, it's it's a fun area of the game. Yeah, I like it. I really liked watching it. It looks like one of the more fun levels. Um, and then Andrew Ryan kind of reveals to you that you've been mind controlled to do anything that anybody tells you to do if they either start it or follow it with "Would you kindly?" Which is such a cool um, part of the game. I love that part of the game. I don't know if I said that before, but it's such a neat reveal. Uh, I can't remember if it's before this or after this you learn that you're secretly Andrew Ryan's son. Uh, it would be funny if he's like, would you kindly give your dad a hug? I've missed you, boy. Oh, and everything everything like turns out okay at the end. It's like, there's this really happy, uh, like, Fontaine <laughs> is completely taken aback. He's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, because like... Andrew Ryan's like, would you kindly spend some father-son bonding time with me? And then you like get really long gameplay section of like they added whole mechanics for playing catch, for playing like tag football, for like shooting hoops with your dad, hearing his stories about when he was young and had long hair and was kind of like a surfer. 
on the beaches of California. You know, you know, son, I too was a parasite at one point in my life. <laughs> um, and then like maybe he could add a more sympathetic take on the whole like libertarianism thing and kind of like convert the player. And then you find out Ken Levine and his team, this was all libertarian propaganda the whole time. It was not yeah. a critique at all. No, nope. it was it was a uh, a tract for the holy gospel of libertarianism. Actually, assigned libertarianism is pretty dope. And then maybe uh, it ends with Fontaine coming in, and then Andrew Ryan and you are like, "All right, son, would you kindly do some father son murder with me?" And you just shoot up uh, Fontaine super hard and rebuild Rapture with your dad. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like, you know, what what if Luke Skywalker had gone with Darth Vader at the end and re, and rebuilt the galaxy? Um that could be like a like a secret ending, right? And actually that's kind of the end of my uh my tour of the game and the goofs therein. So I think this is my canon ending. Yeah, where you where you and Andrew Ryan actually become pals and hang out and like yeah, rebuild rapture in your image. Yeah, exactly. And things are better. I love it, dude. That's, that's, hey, that's tender and heartwarming if I've ever heard it. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think that maybe we can just kind of round this off, the, the tour off, with some other levels that really should have been in the game that yeah. didn't get added to the yeah, game. Yeah, I've thought about that as well. Yeah. You know, therapy offices. Yeah. There would need to be a lot of therapists in Rapture, just at least from the standpoint of you're living on the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. You left the whole world behind and your life is one like water puncture away from ending at any time. Uh, Cause the water pressure would be so heavy there. Even if like a microscopic hole opened up, probably like the pressure of the water coming down would probably be enough to like slice through your skin. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It, it truly like the other thing is they don't have a realistic amount of is tanning beds. Like there's no <laughs> vitamin D down there. <laughs> Oh, you're so right. They should have like had a whole Sunny D section of Rapture. Yeah, yeah. They need they need like a tanning bed heat based section of the game where you're where you're fighting the like sales rep from LA Tan who <laughs> is like maniacally hoarding all the tanning beds to themselves so that they can get all the vitamin D in Rapture. And they're like giving you the sales pitch of like what you get for like the different membership tiers. Yeah. Like and then if you pay $35 a month, you get access to the deluxe beds. Uh, meanwhile, he's like shooting you with a machine gun. Yeah, yeah. That, I think that is probably an unused level in the game. I think that they probably had that planned out. Just like the tanning beds with straws for you to drink your Sunny D while you're tanning. Yeah, uh, get all that just, vitamin D. It's, it's just too easy, you know? It's too easy of an it idea. low-hanging fruit for sure. Yeah. Um, I think that maybe uh, like a water park level... Um, I know that um, Bioshock 2 has a theme park level, but like water park, it's obvious. There's water all around. And then the enemies could be lifeguards and you have to turn your sprint off in that level. Uh, and as long as you walk, just like nobody gives you any trouble. And it's just going down a series of water slides. Be fun. Yeah, that does sound like a blast, you know? You could bring your dad, Andrew Ryan, along with you. <laughs> yeah, that's the final level. Like, just the, the new game plus content is that you get to go uh, enjoy the water park with Andrew Ryan. <laughs> do all the childhood things he didn't get to do. Now as an exactly. adult grown man who's like seven foot tall and murdering people. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it would be like, and then like afterwards you can go to the therapy offices. Yeah. And kind of like work out the lost childhood you had. Um, 
So I think that'd be great. I also think, um, last but not least, uh, a DMV for getting your bathysphere license. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I mean, I assume that they're not too hard to drive. It's literally just up and down. But if if you do hit anything, then whoever's inside that building is done. So you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely destroyed. You're right. You have to be super, super careful not to bump into anything. Yeah. As a bathysphere pilot. Yeah. You could hit Sebastian the crab if you're not careful. And that's Disney's intellectual property. Yeah. You will be on the hook for millions and millions of dollars if you do that. So, yeah. Disney's lawyers will send the Crapple Boys after you if you get do your, that. Yeah, get your bathysphere insurance now. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. That could be another enemy in the game is like the progressive um, bathysphere insurance reps who are aggressively trying to get you signed up for a new plan. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Well, Caleb, do you have anything else for us today? No, dude. Um, I think we have uh, sufficiently shocked the bio out of this game. I think so, too. I think this game... Um... <gasps> Dwight, we didn't do a dating sim for this game. <gasps> we didn't do a dating sim. Is this, is this, is this where our, our formula shatters and breaks? No, we're going to do it live. Okay, um, so... Big Daddies. Oh, I should have brought it up. I should have brought it up for the Big Daddy section. That would have made the most sense. It's like a, it's like a, like I got a, you. I okay. got you. You have an ethical choice of whether or not to sacrifice the little sisters. You have a similar ethical choice of whether you want to, because the Big Daddies don't aggro unless you attack them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you can choose to either fight and kill a Big Daddy or smooch the Big Daddy. Yeah. As you approach it, if you do the smooch option, then its helmet opens up to show just like a huge pair of big daddy lips and and like a big beautiful red beard yeah and and just a go- a gorgeous daddy man with a dad <laughs> sparkling bod. anime eyes like it's yeah. it's anime for some reason uh-huh uh-huh yeah and like the ethical rub is that uh the ethical rub what do you mean like like why would what would be like the implications of killing versus romancing the big well, daddy? Well, you know, if you kill the big daddy, it's quick and, and and relatively like, you know, you get it over with quickly. But if you if you smoosh the big daddy, you then have to follow up on your promise and you need to be like Right. All right. I guess we're seeing each other long term and then, you know, <laughs> 6 7 months pass and you're in a committed relationship with the big daddy. Uh-huh. And you can you know, get texts from them. And if you don't respond, then they'll aggro and they'll like bust through the wall. Yeah, yeah. As yes, as you progress through the game and you romance more and more big daddies, they're hitting you up on text. They're like, "Hey, um, you were supposed to meet, to meet me down in Arcadia for a walk. Um, why aren't you there?" And then another big daddy's like, "Hey, uh, I'm here with the Lazarus Vector. I thought we were gonna have some Dasani and and, uh-huh. and watch the Lazarus Vector get synthesized. Where are you?" And like, yeah you have to stop everything you're doing and go to have these dates with different big daddies, the more of them you save. So it's just extremely time consuming, right? One of them is like, hey, Ant Bully is about to start. Where are you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ant Bully, yeah, Ant Bully, your film is being screened in, in uh, Fort Frolic. <laughs> you gotta come see this. I'm so happy and you proud of you. You can't miss your own premiere, babe. <laughs> yeah, so the um, big daddies are really just like, you're saving the world and having to go on a bunch of dates with a bunch of big burly men who are daddies. In the penultimate level, is um instead of being like a festus it's prom and it's prom. it's either like, it's a really easy level if you've killed all the big daddies but you've if you've romanced them uh like the mechanical benefit is you gain romance points um which of course uh beefs up like beefs up your good looks and that's mainly a thing that will add a third person view so like 
you're like looking pretty ugly at the beginning of the game, but you can if you get more romance points, then you look more attractive throughout the game. Well, yeah, you have to visit you have to visit the surgeon first to get beautiful. But you spend <laughs> your romance points at the plastic surgeon to look beautiful. Yeah, you you have to keep Steinman alive, and you the more beautiful you are, the closer to Sonic uh, first draft Sonic oh, you look. Yeah. Um, and so like you're either going through prom and it's really easy because you're hideous, or you're like gorgeous you're a beautiful specimen but the problem level is super hard because it's a stealth mission where you're trying to only be in the sight line of one big daddy at a time yeah yeah you're you're at prom with 25 big daddies and they all think that you're going to prom with them so you have to juggle 25 big daddies otherwise they're gonna start fighting each other and you and then all of a sudden that's how rapture gets destroyed because there was a prom and all the big daddies went absolutely nuts (laughs) Uh huh. You've got to keep track of which ones you've given which excuses to. Like, which one have you told you're going to go get punch? Which one have you told that you're going to go to the weird stall bathroom? And then you've got to like dance at least one dance with everybody. So you got to find things to distract the other big daddies so you can get a dance in with each one. Yeah, yeah, man, this sounds like really hard. It would be by far the hardest level, especially if you went for the full big daddy run, the gorgeous run as they call it. Yeah, uh, gorgeous, gorgeous percent. percent. <laughs> Man, that was close, but I think we kind of nailed it. <laughs> yeah, that was close. Yeah, that was just off the cuff. We didn't have, we didn't even have that planned out. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about gorgeous percent until now. The gorgeous percent speed run. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, listener, thank you for joining us deep under the sea uh, in our libertarian paradise. You, by listening to this episode, have become Ayn Rand. Look at yourself in the mirror. You're Ayn, uh, and we are as well. We are joined in our einliness, and before we let you go, uh, we are going to be the hand that guides the great recommendations of things that we think are cool that you should check out. Caleb, have you been impressed by anything in the last two weeks? Um, the the most impressive thing that I have seen recently is, um, uh, well, you know what? I don't think I'm going to recommend anything. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll say I watched uh, the first season of True Detective. Hmm. Which is a TV show with uh, um, Woody Harrelson and uh, Matthew McConaughey. Um, it's really well written, very similarly to Bioshock. It's extremely well written, um, but it's also a huge bummer. Um, mm. So if you're thinking of watching uh, True Detective or you have seen the first season, I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, I, I I didn't love it, and people talk about it like it's God's gift to Earth. So I would like to hear some opinions on it from the listener. Yeah, um, and also just to say, like, if you're thinking of watching it, know that it's really well written and worth watching. But it's also a huge, deeply cynical, nihilistic bummer. Dang! Uh, hit us up, hey, we fixed your game at gmail.com and tell Caleb your thoughts about True Detective. Uh, yeah, I would. I just want to. I just want to hear more people talk about it and justify it because I. I don't quite see it. You know. Um. I wasn't really listening to your recommendation because I was trying to think of the celebrity couple name for Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. I think it's McCarroll Connison. Yeah, that's really good. I uh, Yeah, that's a really good one. McCarroll Connison. I'm with you on that. And they and they really do have some romantic tension throughout that first season of True Detective. Like, it's, it's really intense. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, for me, I will shout out, I, um, I own Baldur's Gate 3. I have played it exactly once. Uh, I got it, and then I was like, I don't want to play this because it's about to come out. It's coming out less than a week from today. Um, 
but I did hop on with some friends and play like the first three hours of it. And holy smokes, I had heard a lot of hype, especially from like my one friend who's played like a hundred hours of the early access. Whoa. And I was a bit, I love Larian games for the record. I played the heck out of Divinity Original Sin 2 and I was a little bit cynical. I wasn't really sure like if they could reach the same highs, but judging from the first three hours of the early access, this game is really on a whole different level. I love D&D, um, but this game, it does such a great job of feeling like D&D in a lot of ways, but smart changes to the mechanics. The writing is very good from what I've seen so far. Um, it's also really fun because they let you do not only a character creator for you, but also for your romantic interest. That's cool. Which if you're like me, I just made them both the exact same person. <laughs> Whoa. Um, with slightly different hair color. <laughs> I I um I think we're going to play it for an episode, right? I'm psyched about this. I would love to. Yeah. I think if not the next episode and the one following, um, hopefully we'll see if we can get that going. Uh, if we can do um, some couch co-op, that'd be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So Keep an eye out for that. Uh, great game from what I've seen so far. And beyond that, I will also shout out my game that I'm developing. I'm a game designer, game developer, indie developer. Hello again. Uh, you can find Hello Again on Steam. You can follow me on TikTok. And uh, I also have a newsletter that I don't think I've posted any public links to yet. I'll have to add that to the Steam page. Um, but go wishlist it on Steam and if there is a newsletter link on there. Join the newsletter, hear about uh, my development updates, and um, it is a puzzle adventure game set in a time loop. It's really cute. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, man. I'm psyched for this game to come out. You've you've uh, done some amazing work on it, even since just last episode. So, Yeah, it's been going really smoothly recently, and um, we're looking at a late 2023 release, if Woo-hoo! everything goes to plan. Woo! All right. So that is it for us this episode. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, in the the beautiful utopia of Rapture. Yeah, totally. Beautiful is the word I would use to describe it. Uh-huh. The beautiful, except for the la- the distinct lack of distilled water. Yeah, yeah. So join us next week. It's yeah. B-Y-O-W. Yeah, yeah. Dwight, would you kindly uh, end the podcast? <laughs> yes, master. Hey We Fixed Your Game was created and produced by Dwight Davis and Caleb Connor. The music you're hearing right now is the song Austin by Zachary Wilson off of the album Chip Off the Old Block. You can find more of Zachary's music on streaming platforms of your choice, or you can find Zachary's website linked in our show notes. Thank you for listening. Thank you.